listening to the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. It's the podcast in the Broadcast Basement. Broadcastbasement.com. Welcome to episode 89 of Cinemental. How can you talk if you haven't got a brain? I don't know. But some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. Then why don't you kiss me like everybody else does? How about new? The thing is, Bob, it's not that I'm lazy. It's that I just don't care. I came here like this so you'll know my word of death is true. And that my word of life is then true. Welcome to another episode of the Movie Podcast. We can only hope you enjoy listening to as much as we enjoy making. My name is Stephen Hovicki, and as always, I'm here with my co-hosts, Asan Godwin and Lathan Conger III. Our guest today, returning after a long stint away from the show, has been a working artist and writer in the comics industry for nearly five decades. He hates when I say that. In that time, <laughs> he has written and or drawn most of the iconic characters that everybody knows. Uh, most well-known for his acclaimed four-year run on Marvel's Thor in which he created many of the characters and situations that you've already seen on the big screen. <laughs> his groundbreaking graphic novel based upon the film Alien set a bar for movie adaptations and has rarely been met since. That, that one's just for me, by the way. Uh, he <laughs> continues his legacy today, writing and drawing the series Ragnarok for IDW Comics, and I only call him a legend because I know he just poo-poos the idea. Walter, welcome back to, Cin- to, welcome back to Cinemental. <laughs> Thank you. It is. It's so nice to be here for such a wonderful introduction. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I am up past my bedtime as an old guy, so we're gonna have to move this along. Oh, past your bedtime. Listen, I know how late you stay up working. You can't fool oh. me. <laughs> but then again, I did see what you just recently finished, so I know you've probably been up late several days in a row. Well, I was actually. <laughs> um. Well, then let's just jump right into it. Uh, let's uh, let's suffer from consumption. As far as TV goes, I've just been I've been really busy with uh, with book stuff and and comic stuff these last few weeks. So I've just been letting The Mentalist run in the background in the office. So I, I got through two more seasons of The Mentalist. So that's another forty five episodes of that. Jesus. I watched uh, a docu a couple of documentaries. One was called so there was a movie that came out in uh, I'm not even sure when it came out nineteen seventy one maybe 73 something like that and it was called roar and basically what it was was this guy who was who was a film producer had made a bunch of it all couldn't have come out so i guess i guess it came out later in the 70s because they started shooting so he had made he was in a he was in a producer on the exorcist uh and so he made a bunch of money when the exorcist hit big uh also he was married to tippy hedron at the time so they went on an african safari like and, you do, like you do, and they saw a bunch of uh, a pride of lions living in an abandoned uh, gameskeeper's home. You know, there were like no doors and windows on the on the house or anything, but the lions had essentially taken that over as their home, and they just thought that that was the coolest thing that, that these lions had just moved into the house and you know were just living there. Where and, um, where was the gameskeeper? He was gone. <laughs> I mean, he had moved out. Gone how? Yeah, oh, yeah okay, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's the twist. He was eaten. 
Yeah. <laughs> he had moved out of their body. Yes, he, um, he moved. He moved off the planet. Yeah. He moved okay. to a new digestive system. <laughs> That's right. Um, so they came back, and they uh, he he this guy got really really into the big cats, and he decided that he said we're going to do that here. And so now he's living in Santa Monica at the time, and so they started adopting lions and tigers and keeping them on their property on in, in which was essentially there they had a big piece a big parcel of land that was physically adjacent to beverly hills and eventually after they'd you know managed to put together a you know a good sized group of these wild animals in their in their yard uh the the local uh neighbors and law and such said yeah you can't do that uh, in in town here, so that's that's not a good that's call us look at call us kooky, but no. <laughs> so he bought up a big forty acre parcel of land outside of L.A. and uh, he basically terraformed it into a wildlife preserve for these animals, and he he eventually had uh, you know, he had elephants lions tigers cougars california cougars uh leopards panthers he had all the big cats living there you know a lot of them were raised from from uh from as from you know little babies uh kits kittens kitten i, I would not call them kittens because they're not really kittens but and they're not pups so it's you know what yeah. a baby lion is cubs. called cubs. cubs there you go mm-hmm. there you go thank you and so anyway so any so he 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 decided that he was going to make a movie uh, involving him being amongst all the wild animals. And he, they came up with kind of a threadbare plot of, of this sort of like adventure story, but it was basically just a bunch of people running around in a preserve amongst a bunch of wild lions and tigers. And, you know, again, what could possibly go wrong? So <laughs> kind of like a one-time documentary. Well, it wasn't a documentary. It was like a fictionalized movie. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah I, I think I think he means. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's no follow up to it because yeah. of how it ends. The well, follow up is called Grizzly Man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, well, the, funny you say that because it, basically what the documentary is called is the Roar, the most dangerous film ever made, and their tagline for the movie is no animal, no animals were harmed in the making of this film, but seventy of the cast and crew were. Ah, so <laughs> great tagline. Yeah. So and and in his very first job in Hollywood, the director of photography on this film was Jan de Bont. Oh, wow. 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 Yes. Just come over from Holland. So <laughs> anyway, this documentary was put together by his two surviving sons um, <laughs> about the about sure. the, he, they, they finished. They, it took him five years to do it, but they eventually finished the film. And cut it together, and then they couldn't figure out how to market it. They tried marketing it as like an action adventure. They tried marketing it to families. They tried marketing. It was great because in the, in the course of the the documentary, they show all the different marketing schemes that they went through and how they tried to sell this movie and just couldn't get it. <laughs> it wow, just, that's strange. I'm trying to track down a copy to because I just really want to watch it. How how bad it actually is. Um. But yeah, so that I watched that documentary. Then I watched a documentary from 2017 uh, about Back to the Future called Back in Time. Pretty good, uh, pretty in depth. A lot of good uh, new footage. Probably, with, uh, I think that came on the DVD. Um, 
the twentieth anniversary. On the, the, the something. box set. Yeah, it's okay. on the Blu-ray, I, so. I believe, I, that I have the Blu-ray. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, yeah, it was it's pretty good. good. It's yeah, good. yeah, it's it's. Uh, it's There's more and... to the story than you think, you know. Like as as oh, you yeah. unfold it, you yeah. know, as it's all unfolding. Yeah, and I love awesome. the fact that I, I don't mention this in the documentary, but I've read this because it's been brought up numerous times by all these different people. Obviously, in in the age of remakes, that Bob Gale and Bob Zemeckis own that outright. They own Back to the Future completely. And yep. that's why exactly. it will ne- that's why it will never be remade um, is both of them have basically agreed that they're never going to sell that rights to be remake that film. Um, and it's actually in Zemeckis's it's in Zemeckis's will. I think he said that even his kids can't sell it, but Gail said, or no Zemeckis's kids could sell their part of it. Uh, Gail uh, has it in his, that his kids can't sell it. So he just kids. Yeah, right. Exactly. Zemeckis, Zemeckis was like, hey, you know, one day if my kids need something, I don't know, maybe they need a car or something. I'm like, I'm not for Bob Zemeckis's kids probably aren't going to have anything to worry about. But yeah, probably not. Yeah. Anyway, how does, that, how does that work with public domain after a certain amount of years for but for film or for, that, for film? But for film, that's going to be 100 years, 80, 88 years or 82 years or something from now. So it's going to be but a while. You renew it or like renew your public domain on it. Where... Well, they're, they're still going to own the copyright. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There's, yeah. Um, so then I watched this new Bob Odenkirk movie called Nobody. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I've heard about watch, it. Did you watch yeah. it, Lay? No. No. Uh, oh. Carl, Carl wants to go see it in the theater. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. It's essentially, it's, it's, it's Bob Odenkirk being John Wick uh, for, for lack of a better term without the physicality. No, no, no. The physicality is there. In fact, even maybe more so because this guy's not necessarily like super trained the way John Wick is. Right. That's yeah. So he's dirty. Yeah, exactly. There's just a lot, there's a lot more there's, there's this. Well, it's funny too, is it's written by the guy who created John Wick. Okay. It was Is written, it the same universe? They're, no. they're, they exist well, in Well, a... I don't know. But it's written by Derek Kolstad. So, uh, regardless, a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of fun to see Bob Odenkirk in a role like that when basically you know him as a funny guy. And then I watched a, a recent horror film from uh, – there's, a, there's a, a horror movie collective called Astron 6 – uh, that have, that have gotten together. It's a group of, started off as a group of three guys. Uh, they have now added a few more and they're young, um, auteur filmmakers making low to mid budget horror and, and sort of, uh, genre stuff. And, uh, they did a movie called the void. Oh, I want to see the void. It's it, that's a fun throwback movie to like eighties, like horror sci-fi stuff. It's, it's yep. got a lot of homage stuff in it. Um, not too shabby. Um, anyway, I watched the latest film from these guys, um, a movie called Psycho Goreman, which is just bonkers, just off the wall, just craziness going on. But it's got some absolutely hysterical dialogue in it because because basically what happens is, is there's this there's a monster. It's from outer space. It got uh, it got buried on Earth to hide it after it lost a battle in its, in its attempt to take over the universe. And of course, why wouldn't you do this? The the only thing that can control this monster is the thing that locks its tomb in the ground. 
Okay. So, so of course, these two kids randomly dig it up and take like the lock you do. and and <laughs> steal the lock because that's the only part that comes off. So they steal the lock. This thing gets out. Now, whoever has the gem can control the monster. Okay. So, so basically, these two kids end up having a pet monster who basically is ready to destroy the universe. Wow. And it's a just of, a lot of mulligans there in the beginning of the story, but we'll give it to them. Yeah, and it's just it's 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 pretty silly, and it's you just go into it looking for a fun, stupid, bloody mess. Then what's it called again? It's called PG colon Psycho Goreman. Wow. All right. Because that's the All name. Because right. because it's, it's the name that they decide to call him. You know, his name is like his name is like Gravelon or you know, or something like that. And he and they're just like, no, I don't think we're gonna call you that. And so then there's a scene with the two of them just standing there trying to think up silly names for him. And then they're finally like, let's call him Goreman. No, let's call him Psycho Goreman. Oh, even better. So, but anyway, very funny, very amusing. Um, and then we watched the first four of nine Tom Selleck, Jesse Stone films based on the Robert Parker novels, um, which I've seen some of, but not all of. And uh, I, I, I love those. Uh, I know Walt has, has seen them before as well. Yeah, I love them. They're really neat. They were, I write the books, so I watch the movies. They're just really nice, low-key mysteries that just kind, of, just kind of groove along. And it's funny, and I know watching them and the way that they're put together, that there's so much more probably that are in the books, so much more material that's in the books that they just don't have time to put in there. But you can just, yeah. you can just sort of sense where it all is and uh they're just a lot of fun uh, a lot of great characters a lot of great actors uh in in very small roles uh Stephen mccaddy is in it uh william devane shows up and after a few movies uh william sadler is in it uh just, mm-hmm. just a lot of fun and then i watched uh the two movies we're going to talk about so i will jump in just for a second I talked to Weezy and I let Loki yeah. out and it occurred to me, there are some, there are a couple of shows I watch. I don't watch much fiction. I mean, the, the British murder mysteries I seem to mm-hmm. watch, but actually the shows that I do not miss when they are on, on the weather channel on Sunday evening is highway through hell, <laughs> Heavy rescue 401. And there's a new one called blood mountain haulers, which I haven't begun. To, I haven't watched all of yet, but some of them, I, but highway through hell. I totally love. I got into it a few years ago. Probably watched them all at this point. And Heavy Rescue 401 is a lot of fun. Res- rescuing heavy trucks and wrecks in the Canadian highways from Toronto to British Columbia. And they're just, they're a riot. They're really fun. I, I have to, I have, I have to admit that uh, I have fallen victim to that myself. I, uh, I stumbled across that. We were looking, I was looking for something to fill like the last 15 minutes before something else was going to start. So I just threw that on and I'm like, Hey, that's that's kind of fun. <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's really easy to get pulled into these because there's not, unlike a lot of other shows like that, they don't spend an overly long time with the drivers themselves and talking about their lives and the, any any sort of drama happening with them. It's really all about the work, which is much more interesting. You know. The early ones, the first season or two, had a little more about the internal lives of the character. Oh, did they? Okay. Somewhat, um, which wasn't as interesting. But the part of the recovery business that, that is interesting is that there's 
it's like going out every day and facing really new problems. Right. That you the different you you wouldn't think there are that many wrecks, that many different problems involved in wrecks. But the trying to figure out what to do, how to recover stuff from minimum damage, how to recover stuff when it's loaded with you know sixty thousand pounds of frozen food, stuff like yeah. that. It's just the the problem solving is really interesting. And part of what's interesting is also is highway through hell's out in British Columbia in the mountains on the Coquihalla Highway and around that area. And Heavy Rescue 401 is in Toronto. Right. And so it's all recovery, but the recovery work in a big city, apparently the Highway 401 through Toronto yes. is the busiest highway in North America. Exactly. Frankly, I was amazed there wasn't some highway in America that wasn't busier, but it's not. Uh-huh. So it's 401 and, and having to do the work there with cars recovering all sorts of stuff, zipping by you at like 60, yeah. 70 miles an hour and very rarely slowing down. And learning that, you know, some recovery guy gets killed once a week or whatever it is in, yeah. in the U.S. and Canada. It, 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 it makes it really interesting. It's just I have, I have found them really interesting. I've, and the characters, even the ones who don't spend a lot of time in their home lives, they become engaging on their own right as time goes by. And a lot of them are competitors. My favorite shows are the ones where two competitors end up working together because one guy has a rotator and the other guy needs some right, other stuff. Right, exactly, yeah. Each other up when there's something they just all needed to be working on. So I, it is cool shows. I really enjoy. Yeah, them. it's a fun show. We we it's like you know we started off watching Ice Road Truckers when it first started off. Oh yeah. And, but it, after like two seasons, you just get honestly you get tired of hearing and the ice is still melting. You know, it's just yeah. like at every episode you would start here. You know, because it's like. All right. I, I think we figured this one out. There's not how much they're going to yep. do about that one. And then it was literally just spending time in trucks with people. And it just like got, you know, where you're like, all right, I've seen two years of this. I, I'm good. <laughs> the flowers are still standing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the highway, you know, something goes wrong and someone yells, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. And that means time to cut to a commercial. That's right. Yeah. That's, right. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty much when I hear that. It's like okay, it's commercial time. We'll be back. That was the that was the classic giveaway on. Uh, I watched like the we watched like the first six or seven seasons of Deadliest Catch, and that was that that was like always the thing. And that the uh, the cutaway was always like some some out of context bit where someone's like screaming or yelling like or no wait 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 and then like go and it's like okay, it was like Ghost Hunters like what yeah. was oh, that? Oh god, <laughs> cut to a commercial. Uh, it turns yeah. out there's a cat in here. <laughs> I, I still can't figure out how those guys still get people tuning into that show. It's like you never find anything. It's been like no. 10 years. No. You haven't found no. anything. I remember one of the wizard conventions, the ghost yeah. hunters were there and they, they, they everybody went crazy for them. Yep. Like the ghost hunters. The well, ghost that was hunters. like a peak of where they were at then. Yeah. Right? Like, what? And it was only like, and and the main guy, the bald guy, wasn't there. It was only it was two of the other, like the uh, the under guys. It was like Steve yeah. Gonsalves and uh, uh, maybe Grant was the other guy who was there. The like the number two, but anyway. All right, I think we've suffered enough. So so Walt's uh, uh, guilty pleasure choice, if you if you want to call it that, is zero hour. <laughs> Put yourself in this man's place. Aboard a transcontinental plane, suddenly half the passengers, including your own son, are struck by a paralyzing deadly illness. And then in the midst of the panic and confusion, the stewardess tells you to come forward to the pilot's compartment. This is what you find. A pilotless plane running wild in a stormy sky. 
Can you fly this airplane and land it? No, not a chance. You're the only chance we've got. I want you to get on a horn and talk this guy down. You'll have to talk him onto the approach. And so help me, you'll have to talk him right down to the ground. Stryker, you can't come straight in. You've got enough fuel left for two hours flying. Listen, Trelevin, I'm coming in. Do you hear me? I'm coming in right now. Beside him, the woman who had once loved him. And behind him, a plane load of frantic passengers. Ted, we're falling, Ted, we're falling! The mountain's dead, the mountain! 1957, directed by Hall Bartlett, with a running time of 81 minutes. After an in-flight incident involving bad food that incapacitates the flight crew, a passenger and former World War II fighter pilot must take the controls of a larger commercial flight and try to bring the plane in safely, all the while battling his own personal demons left over from his wartime trauma. Now, as a, as a quick caveat to this, uh, Walter had originally chosen a different film, and uh, he and I were discussing, or we're, we're on a phone call a few weeks ago, and uh, we're actually talking about, and I don't even know how it came up, but uh, we started talking about this movie and the sort of all the different iterations and interconnections that not only came before, but came after. And that's, that it was about at that point that I said that, you know what, we should just talk about this movie because there's so much that we can talk about in this movie and so much different stuff that we can connect it to. So uh, that's where, uh, why, why this movie is, is on the, uh, is on the show uh, this time. And uh, Walter, uh, why, why do you like zero hour? Well, not a great film. I don't think, although for 81 minutes, they cram an awful lot of stuff yeah. in that movie. I was, I was, I can remember being really surprised that that much stuff was, I didn't sit around putting my thumbs. It was like, holy cow. And for a movie where you don't move away, like there are no car chases, stuff doesn't explode. That sometimes moves some, but a lot of it's just, you know, it's in the cockpit of an airplane. It's, or it's in the yep. plane itself, or it's in the control tower. I mean, if you see an airplane, you've seen this movie, except it's funny. But it's, right. but it's very, <laughs> and they use some of the dialogue, I gather, verbatim. Yeah. I said earlier, I have not seen Airplane, um, and part of that's because I, I, I like this story. The, the reason I, I know this, knew this story was well before the movie. When I was in college, my freshman year, uh, this would be, well, longer ago than I'm going to admit to, but let's say 1965, um, I, was, we had, I was on a floor, I was in a freshman dorm, we had dorm proctors who kind of minded us to a certain extent. And one of the guys on my floor, Nick Harden, he actually became a medical doctor, Dr. Harden. Uh, <laughs> we, were, you know, we were good buddies, hung out. So as much as you're going to be the upper classman, he was a senior, I was a freshman. But a good guy. And at some point, I read a lot of books. He suggested a book to me that I had not ever come across called Runway Zero Eight. It was a short paperback. It's, I don't know, 130 pages long, maybe, or something like that. It's really very long there's a copy right in front of me in the on the screen <laughs> on, uh, with i think an illustration but hey look up I to check that and runway zero arthur haley and john castle wrote it arthur haley went on to write a number of bestsellers airport i think was one of his yep um wheels maybe about racing there were some other ones as well they got movies got made out of them um and uh I read the book, it turned, it, and, you know, Nick recommended it. I read it, and I, by the end of that book, my palms were sweating. 
It was just, it was a riveting read. Now, I don't know how that would work now for a contemporary audience or for Ghana Kassan, honestly, because as far as I'm concerned, you're a contemporary audience, pal. But <laughs> that's fair. I'll wear seen, that. Having seen Airport, I mean, I have not seen it. Or Airplane, I'm sorry. Airplane. Airplane. airplane Anybody yeah. who's seen Airplane might not be able to read this book or see Zero Hour without all that stuff bouncing around their heads. Um, and that's, you know, that's just the way it is. <laughs> I have never seen Airplane. Um, I have seen clips from it, and I know what the story is. Yeah. Um, but I read this book long before, well, after Zero Hour had come out. It came out when I was like 10, so I did not see it then. But the book itself, I thought, was riveting. It was fabulous. The, the ending of it is, it's the same as in the movie, Zero Hour, but a little bit more elaborated. Um, the idea is that you have a, a plane in which two meal, a transcontinental four engine, it's a DC-4, flying from somewhere, I forget where, to Vancouver. And the, during the course of the flight, the, the hostess serves, there are about 35 people in the plane. She serves one of two meals. You can eat the fish, you can eat the meat. Both the pilot and co-pilot choose the fish, as do a number of passengers, and those people become desperately ill. It's kind of like a Hollywood disease, I think. I, I don't know if there are <laughs> yeah. food poisons that will. Yeah, they never name it or really out. identify but, it. So it's just. But I, you know, maybe they would. I don't know. What do I know about food poisoning? Because I've had it and I haven't died. <laughs> but everybody on the plane, those who ate it are getting sick. They're going to die. And it turns out both pilot and co-pilot ate the same meal, the fish, and they're both desperately ill and no longer able to fly the plane, which is an automatic pilot. Um, I, I did come across something somewhere. Steve, you may have in your research, you may know this more than I, I, that after this book came out, the airlines promulgated a rule that the pilot and the co-pilot could not have the same meal. Oh, that's funny. I don't know if that's true, but I have read that somewhere. I came across, years ago, I came across that's that. That's hysterical. Which I have to say makes sense. Yeah. Um, and it turns out the only person on the plane with any flying experience is a World War II fighter pilot who had a kind of crisis of nerves back during the war. And the last thing he wants to do is pilot a plane. But it turns out he's the only guy on the airplane with any kind of flying experience. Right. So that he has to take over the controls. Um, and in the, in the book, it's, they do a really nice interaction between him and the guy that's on the ground trying to talk him down. Um, in Zero Hour, that may be, some of this stuff may be a little more elaborated. I haven't gone back and reread Zero Hour, in, I mean, uh, Runway Zero Eight in a long time. And so I, I don't remember some of the stuff with his wife, his kid. Some of that stuff may have been put into the movie, but was not in the book itself. I'm right. not sure. Now, now I'm curious. I have to go back and reread the book tomorrow. I mean, it's short. <laughs> I can read the whole thing easily. But, uh, but, they, but yeah, it's really, when they're coming in, there's a, they're coming into Vancouver, they, they want him to fly around a few times. At one point, the guy on the ground, the, the pilot who's talking him in, loses it. He says, he can't fly it. Of course he can't fly it. He's like freaking out. This is in the book. And they want him to go around a couple of times to try and you know, get right. a feel for it. And he just says, look, I'm not doing that. He says, people up here are about to die. It's not going to make any difference if I try this two or three times. I'm coming in now. You can right. help me or not. And they and – the, tower guys freaking out and the pilot on the ground and there's something like this Storm Hayden says something like this in the movie says look at the moment he's the captain of the plane we have to do that we've got to do what he wants to do yep. he's the captain and so they, they when they bring it in 
in the uh, in the book, they hit the ground, they bounce a few times, he pulls the brakes, the brakes <laughs> break and squeal, other stuff happens, oh, they just can't get the plane stopped, and finally, the tower screams, this is not in the movie, he yells, ground looper to the left, ground looper to the left, and he just rank, yanks the yoke and pulls the plane sideways, and the whole plane begins to spin, the landing gear breaks off, and it spins around, they eventually come to a stop, and you kind of lying there waiting for anything to happen right. and nothing does. They've made it, they've made it down safely and presumably in time. So all these guys dying of Hollywood disease will be able to get to the airport, the hospitals fast enough to be saved. And, but I remember the book loved it and was always curious about the film. Um, finally had a chance to watch it. Um, it was, I'd seen a couple of clips which had not really impressed me. Yeah. Um, it was actually, it was better than I thought it was going to be. I think it was a great movie, but I thought they did a pretty nice job of ramping up the conflicts, just as a, speaking as a writer. Um, one of the things that makes stories is conflicts. And they were able to introduce, again, in the 80, what was it, 88, 81-minute movie? 81 minutes, yeah. 81-minute movie. There were a lot of conflicts in that film between yeah. the characters, in a way. It was also kind of fun because, I recognized three or four of the character actors who were in there. Sure. I had no idea what their names were, but I've seen them in you know movies from the period, TV, whatever. Um, and I thought they did a pretty good job of you know in a B movie or whatever you would call this, a C <laughs> movie, um, putting in conflicts and resolving them in some way that was interesting and kept the story kind of moving along. So I did like the film. I liked the book better. But it was interesting to see, and we'll get into the history in a second. The history of the film is in its own way as interesting, if not more so, than the movie itself. I, I, and I, I will would... say, well, you guys may know the answer to this. I don't. I have no idea where that title comes from. Zero hour. Uh, I, don't, I don't quite know what that's supposed to mean in the context of the film. I, in, I, in the trailer I, for the film on, on uh, YouTube, they start off showing a clock going click, click, click. To zero. Right. But there's nothing like that in the movie. And so I have no idea what that title is supposed to mean. Yeah, I mean, zero hour is midnight. Um, I mean, it's midnight. It's a, it's a wartime. From a military uh, term, it's a scheduled time for the start of some event, yep. or especially a military operation. I think one of the Fleischer Superman cartoons where Superman is sabotaging Japan <laughs> as zero hour, as the, you know, when, that's, when that happens. Oh, can, sure blowing up trains or knocking stuff over, whatever he's doing. Yeah. So it has, I think it has a wartime connotation. And since the pilot has a former wartime pilot, maybe it comes from that, but I'm not sure. So, so in 1956, Arthur Haley wrote a teleplay for the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation's Alcoa Hour uh, called Flight into Danger, uh, which starred uh, everyone's favorite Scottish engineer from Star Trek, Jimmy Doohan, uh, as Ted Stryker in this role. And uh, it wasn't until after that, that he went ahead and uh, adapted, he wrote the screenplay for, or I'm sorry, he wrote the, he, they had then made the novel, the uh, runway zero eight in 1958. And then the screenplay, I'm sorry, the screenplay was written and then they made it into a novel to tie in with the movie. Now in 71, this was remade as a made for TV movie called terror in the sky. And I, I'm, haven't seen that one either in 1980 when when paramount when the zucker brothers decided that they were going to make a comedic spoof of the airport films and discovered that paramount pictures 
who was making Airplane, also owned Zero Hour at the time. And that's why they were able to literally go in and just take this movie and liberally take whole pieces from it and, and turn this into the, 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 I don't, was, was airplane the first of those kinds of movies where it's like the, the kind of joke a minute spoof of an existing genre of film. I think so. Yeah. Is there anything really before that? I think that was the Zucker brothers first movie. Definitely. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and then there was a TV show for Police Squad, which they they based, right. uh, you know, right. um, they they base a naked gun off of. But um, yeah, I think Airplane was the was the first of its kind, right? In that manner. And to back uh, up a little bit, I I was reading. It sounds as though Zero Hour, or or Runway Zero Eight from Haley, was one of the first of its kind, where you have a cast of characters. And you put him in a pressure cooker situation of that sort with a limited stuff, like a Poseidon adventure, where you mm-hmm. have guys, then they have to survive in some way in an, a pressure cooker environment. There was something about that, some of that stuff. Very early. I mean, it's a very early disaster film is what it is. Yeah. I mean, for, you know, yes. on all intents and purposes. And Without then, the disaster. I mean, there, it, the, the situation is potentially disastrous. Yes. Right. But, yes. but yeah, but they don't really, we don't lose anybody really. You well, know? I mean, in some of the disaster films, I mean, then, sure. you know, Arthur Haley would go on to write the, the, the novel in 68 for airport, which would become the film yeah. airport, which would basically the launch the golden age yeah. of yep. the golden age of disaster movies. Um, you know, which led to the, you know, it's, it's bizarre how this whole sort of, convoluted tale of this one story all eventually led to it being a spoof made of a genre of films that was launched by the same story and then spoofed by the same and all by the same they all came from the same source material <laughs> it's really kind of amazing uh hassan what did what do you think of uh a zero hour it was, it's, it's too difficult it was really too difficult because i've i I worship the ground that airplane walked on flies. Over. And I had no, I had no clue that the movies, that that movie was so, so broadly uh, structured around this movie, like another film. So, yeah. I mean, like in the beginning of the film, you know, and they're, they're showing the spitfires and they, you know, the, the, the captain's Ted striker. I was like, wow. Okay. You know, like, <laughs> The name, like right away, I'm like, wait a minute, Ted Stryker, you know, okay. And then, uh, you know, the disaster happens. There's no correlation just yet. But as as things start to go on in the film, it's not until basically he gets on that plane and they start serving fish or or chicken. And then I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm literally watching the film like, don't eat the fish. Do not eat that fish. And there, you know, the the scene with his with his. I mean, there are so many iconic scenes in Airplane that that clearly it's like it's the same as the Blade Runner scenario, you know, where like Blade Runner comes first. But I had seen so many ripoffs of Blade Runner that now I'm watching the source material for all the ripoffs last. So it's like. Oh, that's the scene. Oh, that's where they stole this scene from, and they took this. You know, <laughs> so I'm watching the. You know, um, Stryker's son is in the cockpit talking to the to the pilot, and the dialogue is eerily similar to the. And I'm like, 
wait a minute. And like so many revelation moments for me. I'm like, wait a minute. And it, and you know, as, as a, as the film went on, it was, you know, I, I mean, I think my attitude about the film is it was pretty campy. It was like, it was very, it's not really that great, especially watching it back to back with, um, with charade, you know, it's like, wow, this is like kind of a night and day situation. But on top of that, because it was, because airplane was such a blatant ripoff of this, like, like just down to the bone, all I could see were these like, to me, incomplete comedic sequences, you know? It's like, and I, wait, wait, there's a punchline. Where's the punchline? Yeah. <laughs> and I remember texting you. I was like, I, I can't take this. I can't watch this. Like, it's not, I'm not, I'm not effectively able to, to analyze what I'm seeing. There were, there were some things like I, I thought the, like, why would you call the guy's commanding officer in to talk to me? Like, you're, you're a tin pusher. Why can't you, you're in an airport. Why there? Why aren't there hundreds of pilots like on hand that you could bring up there so they could talk him down? Probably he's not going to psychologically trigger this guy because he's a commanding officer who's angry at him because of how he lost his nerves and got a whole bunch of pilots killed in World War II. Like that, I'm sure the book elaborates on that a little better. But I'm like watching, like, why would you do that? Like, why would you bring this guy in? Like, you know, I understood in Rambo they brought Trout, Troutman in because he could probably talk Rambo out of the, those hills. But if you're going to bring a guy who hates the other guy and he's only going to, and he literally berates him through the whole film, like, all right, striker, <laughs> you know, you're coming in too fast, striker. You're coming too, like, it's like, what? This, this guy's not helping. You know, this guy's making it worse. I think I might've missed it, but it, is it ever really explained why his wife left him, like blatantly left him and took the kids? Is it, is it other than that brief, I'll, the brief conversation when he comes and, and talks to her the first time where they, you know, where she says, it's basically like, you know, you've just been, you've been kind of checked out for too long. And I, you know, I have to, you know, we have to go, you know, it's, 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 you know, there's been, but she she leaves him when he goes to get a job. Like he's going on a job interview, and that's when she yeah. chooses to leave him. Like, wait till see if it, if it worked out first. You know, like like this he and he does come home, and he's got a little, you know, he's got a little stride and a step, you know, and he's he's got the classic baguette, you know, in the grocery bag, which is <laughs> which is just you know standard Hollywood procedure. Whenever you go shopping, is you have to buy baguette for that's some right. reason and. And um, and a wine bottle that's yeah, that <laughs> celery and a wine bottle that's sticking out the top. That's right. A little bit of history they mentioned. He had already had about ten jobs in the ten years since the war. Right. Like he okay. had a whole bunch of jobs that he had obviously not been able to hold, and none of them had much responsibility. He managed to he was getting whatever the jobs were, and he wasn't able to hold any of them. And he always got jobs that were way lower than his presumably his training and degree of professionalism right. that would permit him to have or allow him to have. So so for his wife, this is just another in a long string of, yeah, of defeat. That's as, in 81 minutes, that's as much as you're going to find out. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> I mean, it didn't, I mean, you, I mean, when you watch it, you know, the scenario, you know, you know, the way movies work, he's going to be able to prove himself to his wife somehow when he gets on the plane. And it is, so it's, it's fine that I have no issues with that whatsoever. It's it's kind of bold to get to the airport and see your wife getting on the plane 
calling her and then managing to run into the into the terminal and buy a ticket and be able to get on the plane. That, Flying used you know, to be so much easier. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> it's like <just laughs> having him able to bring his kid up into the cockpit. Yeah, yes. Yeah. 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 You know, in, I have uh, expected him to just grab onto the wing and just just be peeking in through the through the, through the window. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. And you know, there's because of, I you know, I'm kind of I'm kind of robbed of being able to see this, uh, you know, un, unbiased, so I could know exactly how I would have <laughs> felt about it. Because I mean, literally yeah. down to the down to the stewardess slapping the lady, it's all these are all beats. From that, you know, mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the, the commanding officer said that picked the wrong day to stop smoking, you know, which they turn into a string of Lloyd Bridges jokes in, yes. in, uh, in airplane. So it was it. I don't know. I mean, I think the movie is I, I think it was a kind of a subpar B movie just by the way it, it kind of works out. It over kind of overdoes the drama. You know, there's a lot of yelling in it. <laughs> I I do like I did like Dana Andrews I did I, mm-hmm. I he he was sympathetic I found him uh, sympathetic in spite of him being called Ted Stryker <laughs> and I was like it can't be Ted Stryker <laughs> uh, <laughs> this cannot be Ted Stryker and I did like you know how he became assertive you know towards the uh, you know towards the, the the end of the film I liked. Because a lot of these films do kind of do kind of make it seem like you, you know you're a pilot that you could just you know one pilot fits all kind of situations like you know since he he flew Spitfires he would be able to right. fly a quad right. engine you know like nah all right, I got this I you actually, know, I actually like that too that's something that did stick out to me that the guys like you know everything's gonna feel different when you take yeah. when you take this off autopilot it's gonna feel different and the things that you normally would do in a single engine fighter you can't make quick adjustments like that because you won't be able to you'll overcompensate and you're just gonna go the other way yeah I just I, I liked that there was a a, a noted try to 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 showcase the differences from a technical side that and like also the the radio like the radio frequency is like mom let's not touch that like certain logical things (laughs) that you would think of like no then you know or they move this around or i don't know where that is or this you know would be over here and this is you know what about the intermax and you know they they they're they're there was some sharpness in it there was a lot of you know sharpness that that allows you to kind of kind of go with it but the, I mean, look, Walt. I don't know if you'll ever watch Air, Airplane, but you know, and maybe you shouldn't if you really like this film. I mean, uh, I maybe. think you should for sure. I think you. Well, look, I mean, honestly, I, I mean, I think this is a great movie. I like. I'm. I love the book. The book's phenomenal. I mean, there's some stuff in the book. I just I've read it. I haven't read it in a long time now. I go back and I reread certain passages that I like, but I don't. Re- I haven't read the whole book in a long time, and I do not remember in the book. I'm not saying it's not there because it has been a long time. I don't know that they built in the, the conflict between Stryker on the airplane and whatever the guy, whatever Sterling character's uh, character was. Yeah, Captain Turlevin. I do not remember that being a, a conflict in the book itself. Gotcha. Funny attention, just trying to get the goddamn airplane down on the <laughs> Yeah. And that's which is why I was sweating like bead sweat. But so I, I some of that stuff I think. I mean, I, uh, some other stuff I'm not sure of either. But I think that a lot of that was layered in to try and get more <clears throat> more juice into the movie, as it were. 
Right, but, right. And I still thought, you know, if an 81-minute black and white film from whatever it was, the mid-50s, they didn't do a bad job with it. But I, no, I, I didn't. I, I like the I like the book much better. I'm also far enough away. If, I mean, and the, from that movie, it doesn't it, it doesn't matter to me. If there were if the parody from Airplane were from Charade, maybe I wouldn't want to watch Airplane. Maybe I would. <laughs> eh, maybe not. I but think you will like this. I, I will have to go watch Airplane one of these. Yeah, movies. I think you will laugh more than you I will watch possibly it. know. Yeah, especially if you're as familiar with this movie as you are. I think I think the jokes are gonna. They're going to resonate with you even louder than, than the average person. I, I, I enjoyed seeing it. Uh, it's, it is what it is. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm extremely biased uh, <laughs> against it. And not against it, but I, was just, I just couldn't take it for, it for its own thing. because it's of more like a historical artifact at this point. It, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's, yeah, there's no way to, I mean, you, when you see it, Walt, you'll understand what, what, what trouble I was having, but, um, <laughs> because I, you know, I think, I think it pertains to how, how much you appreciated this movie or the, especially the book was how much I appreciated air airplane because it was the first of its kind. It was, it was a humor that resonated with me and it, you know, a lot of comedies don't often resonate with me at all. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a complete reverse situation, but I'm 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 thrilled I got to see this. Like it just made me <laughs> it made me laugh out loud. You know, a lot of historical yeah. context. That's right. Yes. Uh, Latham, <laughs> you know, it's like Hassan said, you just can't. If you see an airplane, there's just no way to watch this without <laughs> that in the back of your brain. So I tried to once I realized what I figured that out very early on, and I and I tried to just watch it as a thriller and it does work as a thriller at times. It's kind of like an instruction booklet thriller to where they're just listing off things that, you know, it's almost like going through a technical manual of this horrible situation that a plane needs to be landed and no one knows (laughs) what to do. And some of that is interesting and some of it isn't very interesting. One of the least interesting parts is the woman you know, his wife repeating everything he says on the microphone to the guy. And by the eighth or ninth thing she repeated, I know they have to do it, but I was just like, okay, she's just going to repeat what he just said. And in the form of a screenplay or a movie, it it just didn't work eventually by the end of the film. It it wasn't, I didn't want to hear her repeating stuff anymore. They should have kind of used a device where you knew, that he was feeding her the information and then you only heard her dialogue over the radio. So yeah. like, it so you would that know that. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, I mean, she, if you could, you could cut into where she's already repeating it or, you know, a lot of different ways to do it. It's just every single time she repeated it, it just felt like it was getting a little bit monotonous. The, uh, the effects in the movie are pretty impressive for the time. All the plane effects, the, you know, there's some model stuff in there during the the fighter plane sequences, but it's, you know, all the stuff when they're landing. It, I, I thought for the time it was pretty well done. I, I, I didn't. I think Hassan touched on it too. I didn't like how, not just the way he treated him the whole time when he was trying to help him bring the plane down, but they have that whole sequence that or that talk at the beginning before they talk for the first time, and he. 
you know, they, they say, well, once he knows who I am, he's not going to be very happy with me. You know, just, just, you know, this guy, you know, just don't say who you are, dude, just talk him down and then have your, have your bit with him later. I mean, what you, you basically, <laughs> the first, the minute he gets on the radio with him, he tells this him, is Captain to 11. Right. Yeah. Remember me? Remember me? Yeah, I wonder yeah. about that. Are you triggered? Are you yeah. triggered? Yeah. Are you having trouble? Are you have to land a plane? Well, you're fucked. You know, oh, what's the matter? Don't know where any of the controls are? Yeah. Just like, you know, it, it just, it was a little over the top there. You know, it's not a bad little thriller for its time, but, I, you know, it, it's, I guess I, I'm just agreeing with Hassan. There's historically, there's if you see airplane first and then this, it's you, it's always in the back of the back of, the, of your head while you're watching it. <laughs> but it's not a bad it's not a bad movie, and it moves, and it's I wouldn't say it's ever really boring. I mean, there's some weird yeah. weird moments in it. The guy drinking the alcohol and that they're trying, I don't know, they're trying to be like funny at times. And <laughs> the three, the Irish guys drinking the, stealing the scotch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Man. That's and uh, you know, the hand puppet thing, you know, yeah, I don't know. Just... <laughs> You're I, I saying this movie could have been 70 minutes. <laughs> Possibly. Yeah. It's... Yeah. I kind of like that bit with the hand puppet. I like, I like too. the fact that he set it up, and I like the fact that he gave the hand puppet to the kid to try and comfort him. Oh, that was actually kind of a nice character bit. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, under, I understand why they did it, and that's you know, it's again, it's fun to watch people walk in and out of the cockpit and leave the cockpit door open, and you know, <laughs> just go wherever the fuck you want on the plane, and uh, never mind the box cutters we got in our pocket. Okay, I mean, it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's amazing how what a different time it is, just fifty years later, let uh, forty years later. Oh, just, just fifty years later. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I mean, forty, 60. forty, but um, sixty, the fifty, sixty, forty, fifty, fifty-seven. It was. Oh, you're right. Yeah. 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 So sixty years later, nineteen sixty yeah, so, would be nineteen sixty-four. Would be six sixty-four. Where are you? Where? What time period are you figuring out here? What from what to what? <laughs> to twenty twenty-one. To from, 1960 from would be 20 would be 61 years and then th- add three more. So 64 years. Oh, I just meant like until a nine 11 happened to where planes, oh, oh, planes, oh, 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 oh. where planes weren't, you know, you. everything was locked Sorry. down after that. So, so okay. that's like 44. Yeah. 44 either way. Nine 11 was about 20 years ago yeah, already, which is yep. also startling. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, I think if you've seen Airplane, it's it's worth to watch just for that, just for that <laughs> context. And I think, uh, you know, there's some decent performances in it. And it's it's not – I don't think it's a throwaway movie at all. Uh, you know, I found it very interesting to watch it. I, I just didn't – in the end, I didn't think it was great, but I but I did uh, I did enjoy the experience of watching it. And knowing, knowing now that it exists. Yeah, I didn't know it existed. No told- clue. None. Yeah, well, I've, been, uh, I've been wanting to watch it for a long time, but I knew about it because of the book. So I just never caught up to it, so I was glad to finally have a chance. The to one, the one thing that I thought in 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 having the the airplane effect 
when I was watching this, uh, because they did, like Hassan said, they 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 took whole chunks of dialogue right. straight from this film and adapted them right into uh, the 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 Zucker remake. Um, and I actually think in watching this it actually makes airplane even funnier. It adds so much context that now knowing it comes based on a serious source material, it actually makes airplane even funnier. I would argue because there were that, you know, like every time they showed Dana Andrews after he got into the pilot seat, he had like the sweat on him, like the, the Mm -hmm. sweat, the sweat, like the visual sweat on him. And there's a, there's a running, there's a gag about him sweating in airplane. I mean, a really ridiculous gag where they have the tubes in the hair. And so the water is like running down his face, you know, in, in, in the cockpit. And it just, the whole thing added so much more contact for watching airplane. But yeah, I, 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 I thought this movie was fun. I thought it was fun to watch. Uh, I thought it was uh, really interesting to see or hear the uh the bits that they would eventually make their way into uh airplane and 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 as and done as serious things i actually laughed out loud at one point during this movie that definitely wasn't supposed to get a laugh but it's like you guys said it was simply because it was it's it it was so tightly attached to something else that when it was said i kind of chuckled because you had chuckle in in airplane at that point and so it's like yeah, even though you're not point. supposed to it was still it was still yeah. triggering the same things but in a completely different way when, know, when 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 he says like i need to we need to get these people to a hospital and the verse and the and the stewardess said hospital what is it and i and i broke i literally like <laughs> it's a giant building with patients but that's not important right now. <laughs> you know like like ah oh, <laughs> it made me crazy there's so many like the, the steward is slapping the lady. Yeah, is just is 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 a five minute sequence in airplane. You know, like it's and it and it just seems like this seems like a parody of airplane. You know, from it, it, right. and you know it's not, but you're like, wow. You know, like uh, by the time you get to the fifth joke with uh with Lloyd Bridges, like oh, it looks like I picked the wrong week to stop sniffing glue. You know, like right, exactly. it's just it's just these <laughs> ongoing gags. And um you you just like I, I while watching and I literally felt bad. Like I I I can't. Like I just cannot separate the two. <laughs> I can't do it. I, I didn't have as much problem keeping the two separate. I just thought that they I like I said, I thought that watching this uh that in my mind made airplane even funnier because now, yeah. now it actually, it created context where there was none before. So even like some of the other stuff that, you know, from airplane that maybe wasn't that you didn't even necessarily take as being funny now becomes even better. Like I want to go and watch airplane now and yeah. see actually how much more stuff there is that may they maybe they just like little visual cues they threw in there. Yeah, there's gotta be. As little as little bits and pieces that weren't, you know, that were just if you knew zero hour and knew what it was, you're gonna yeah. get it. So there's there's one there's one thing in the film that just that that kind of bugged me. Actually it in that one thing turns into two things. But I didn't <laughs> I didn't buy that the wife would stay in the cockpit while her son was in the back of the plane with the doctor. Like I, I didn't okay. quite like I. You know, she she'd already left her husband, took the kid with her, 
Right. He he's at you know according to I guess as Walt says because he's got a Hollywood sickness he's at death's door you know basically, right. and she's like sitting in this cockpit with uh with her you know her ostensibly her is her ex at this point until they you know they Strange. miraculously yeah okay fair enough that's 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 uh, more appropriate, and I just it I could see it but it felt contrived. Like I could see doing that, but it felt contrived. But there's a point where he's like, sit down. I need you to, you know, to, yeah. to take the wheel. And then as soon as the, as soon as the, the stewardess leaves, he's like, you don't have to stay if you don't want to, yeah. you know, you can, you can do whatever. <laughs> like you just told me to sit down and take the wheel, you know? So just, just that it's not a, it's not a big deal at all. And it's not a, it's not a deal breaker. I could see it happening. You just seem it struck me odd that she would leave her son. Like the doctor's like, don't worry about your son. I've got him. Like, you don't know that guy. I mean, I get that he's got a doctor credential. Don't look at the man behind the curtain. In 1957, you might have been much more inclined to follow a doctor's advice than you would be in 2020. Uh, Yeah, maybe so. To regard a doctor as an authority figure that you could trust. Yeah. I think that, I think the time and that makes a big difference. Absolutely. Also, I'm pretty sure in the book, I can have to go back and look at it. I am pretty sure in the book, this was not, I'm not sure his wife was even on board the airplane. Yeah. Okay. But I'm pretty sure that the person that actually stayed in the cockpit with him was the stewardess. That uh, makes more sense. Which it seemed that she would know more about the routine of airplane stuff. Than- which in right. airplane, the the woman who I mean the, the she yes. the the woman who stays with him is the stewardess, though yep. they did have a relationship. So that's like that right. was the compromise. Right. I could see that being a studio idea. It's like man, you got to give him a love interest or something like that, and then you got to give him a triumph at the end. Like you gotta you gotta have the wife estranged, and then you gotta you we we gotta see him win her back. Right. Through his heroic actions, I could totally see that being a studio idea of you know adding that to the to the story in the book, you well, know, while making the movie. Darnell is the character, is the actress. They probably want to give her something to do since she was well known at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like Walt was, and saying, she didn't really have anything to do other than no, no. scream. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like Walt was saying before we started the show, it'd be interesting to go back and find that. 1956 tell a uh, Canadian TV version. I would love to see that and, and see, see how that aspect plays out in the original teleplay, you know, before yeah. it was expanded out to a screenplay and then into a novel. And I have a, the impression there may be a kinescope of that old show somewhere, but I don't know for sure. I haven't gone looking for it. Yeah. What was the name of the show? Uh, it was called the Alcoa hour. Uh, it's from this episode with the the title of it was Flight into Danger with James yeah. Doohan. Yeah, I'd like to see a thin Scotty <laughs> <laughs> from uh, from 1956. But um, but yeah, I think the, this was this was a lot of fun to watch. Uh, I, I I liked it. I, I, I said like I said, I just I was a lot of fun in context with you know kind of the movie that the other three of us already know. I think it. I think at the end of the day, it actually kind of makes both movies better a little bit. So yeah, I'm, I'm really I'm I'm really looking forward to watching Airplane again because I haven't watched it in a really long time, and it'll be fun to watch and see. Though uh, you know, like I said, look for any other little uh, hidden bits and bits and bobs. So, but uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's zero hour. 
All right. Well, if we do this again, I'll have to pick a more recent movie for. <laughs> yes. I like. That. Oh, you don't. Maybe have... I, I might pick a comedy. There's a there's a movie called uh, What's Up, Doc. You know, a Peter Bogdanovich movie, an early one from. Yeah, that, I might have. I think I saw that one. Yeah. And, uh, Ryan O'Neill. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I remember Tom. that. And uh, I saw I actually saw that one in the theater. And all, what I only I remember a little about it, not a lot, but there's a whole slapstick chase at the end. Yes. And I have to say, in the theater, I saw it when it came out. I was just laughing into tears. <laughs> at that. I don't know if I would now, but I did then. So I may choose that next time. There you go. There you go. That's probably as recent as I can get. But uh, well, Walter, <laughs> I will. Uh, I will let you go to bed. Uh, thank you. Oh, probably not. Probably not yet. But it's oh. okay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Getting you close. A little, a little early for me still. I was in bed, uh-huh. I was in bed about three thirty last night. So right. I expect to go to bed a little earlier than that this evening. But uh, fair enough. Fair but thank enough. you guys for popping in. Thanks for your contributions. Thank you, Walt. And no. uh, I'm glad I got to see the movie at least once before I see the airplane. That's right. That's right. <laughs> did you? Uh, do you have a copy of this, or how did you? How did you see it? Uh, TCM runs it every so often. Oh, okay. okay. I do actually. I do actually. It was one of those, you know, four movie DVD boxes. Oh, okay. Old 50s stuff. I don't remember what else is in there, but but this is in there. And TCM, they pull it out and run it at least a couple times in the last three or four years. So I've Fair seen there are a couple of movies like that. This is this is one off my bucket list. There was a movie called Mademoiselle Fifi. That's one of the Val Luton films. Oh. From back during the time he was doing those horror films for RKO. But this is not that. This is a uh, historical drama. But it's short. stars, uh, what's her name? Simone Simon. And I was, I was always curious to see it. Never caught up to it. Finally caught it. Strange movie. But there are <laughs> I have these little weird films I'm trying to catch up with over time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to find one day that... that... That that picture that you and Chaykin talked about, the one with uh, about the guy being oh the mag- the uh, remarkable Andrew, remarkable Andrew, <laughs> the remarkable Andrew. That'll probably come around TCM sometime. If I ever see it, I'll let you know. You definitely do because I have to try and figure out a way to to. to... If you ever get around a reading Runway Zero Eight, let me know what you think. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, it's going to go on the pile of, of of stuff to read. I'm I'm in the middle of. Uh, I'm in the middle of Oliver Stone's uh, the first volume of his autobiography, which is uh, kind of fascinating. So um, some neat stuff, you know, he'll get his first directing job soon. But anyway, uh, Walter, thank you. Thanks, guys. Always a pleasure. Good to see you again. You too. Take care. care. Be well, my friend. I'll talk to you soon. You too. What is this I got in my email? The fucking... uh... Uh, I got a unsolicited email from Kickstarter. Well, probably not unsolicited, probably because I, I, I donated recently, but it's for a, uh, Stan Lee's back channel volume one. Do you know what yeah, that is? I don't. I, I, so Stan, Stan, yeah. Stan Lee had all this stuff. Yeah, that, that he had created and had never gone anywhere. And so his estate is now sort of making these deals with other artists and, and creators to like put this stuff out. But the the concepts are all based on are all Stan Lee stuff. And so if you're going to have a story and even if, if the majority of the story wasn't done by him, if the IP concept came from him, they can slap Stan Lee's name on it 
and use that as a selling point. So, yeah, Obviously, I yeah. I saw that. I don't know what that is. I didn't I didn't dig too deep into it. Um, you know. By rocket ship is the who launched the project? I don't know who that is. Yeah, I have no idea. Delete. <laughs> Delete. It's from Scott Pilgrim. This is so boring. Never seen it. Delete. Wow, really? Never seen it. I don't it. know. Never if seen you it, would, never read it. I don't know if you would uh I don't know if that would be your thing. I know a couple. It's people. great. I think it's. I think it's fantastic. But I, I don't know. I'm not. You, you probably. You probably wouldn't find it a waste of your time. I think it's. I think it's delightful. It really is really good. With what, Hassan? Uh Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, I haven't seen world. it yet either. I, I, it's on Netflix and easy to watch. I should probably watch it. Yeah. Oh, is it on Netflix right now? Hmm. Prepare to die, obviously. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, there's 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 a there's a bunch of that stuff in there, and uh, you know, uh, Mary Elizabeth Winston. So, you know, it never goes she's wrong. The, she's the one from uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane, right? Yes, yes. Okay. Also, uh, the thing. The the remake of the thing. Oh uh, yes, that's right. And Death Proof. Death Proof. I've only seen Death Proof once, so I wouldn't remember. Yeah, that was, that was enough. That's <laughs> enough of the strange I like both, film. I like I like both of those. Uh, has a great Planet Terror is great. Has a fantastic line in it though. One of my favorite uh, pieces of uh, movie dialogue. First when they're about how it's Death Proof, but you got to be sitting here. No, when they're at the table, they're at the dinner table, and they're talking about, like, uh, the one girl carrying a gun around. And they're like, you shouldn't carry a gun around. You know, it's not normal people don't carry guns around. And, then, and uh, you know, what's her name? Belle, the the the, the stunt woman. She's like, Zoe well, Bell. why don't you carry a, you know, why don't you carry a knife like normal people? She's like, you know what happens to people who carry around knives? They get shot. <laughs> that's funny um weird movie though it's really out there out there film oh yeah it's a good film i mean it wasn't it was i wasn't bored the the when i watched it i went to see that in the theater with phil and that was a full that was the full double feature of both films right and i didn't i realized that my stamina wasn't what i thought it was watching it was like holy shit when is this gonna end I'm so fucking sick of this. When is it going to be over? <laughs> That's the same thing that happened when I, I was very clever and I went to go see um, a double feature of The uh, the Force Awakens and uh, The Last Jedi when that when The Last Jedi first came out. And I said, no, oh, that won't be so bad. And I just, I didn't like The Force Awakens that much in, in the first place. So, you know, like, Seeing it again didn't really do much for me, and then just waiting, waiting for this, uh, you know, mm-hmm. to this conclusion that I, that took two years to come along, and then just uh, just despising it while watching it, it was a well, it was it an interesting a experience. It was a middle chapter. Well, I mean, yeah, but I mean, it was a it was a sequel, you know, yeah. so it was a continuation. Continuation is a better word right. for it. It's just wow, this this is just not good. What's the last one called? Uh, the Rise of Skywalker. Rise of Skywalker. I was thinking The Last Skywalker for some reason. but It have been. 
Should have been the never Skywalker. That should that movie should never <laughs> have happened. <laughs> the never should have happened Skywalker. It's such a, I mean, like, imagine if you were like a a devoted fan of that series, and then you get to episode nine. <laughs> just imagine, just imagine if you imagine, were a devoted fan. Imagine of the fact that you are. Yeah. So, what no, I had to, to I had to disassociate. <laughs> What's that like? Well, what is the justification in Wandavision, Hassan, of the of this the uh, Whatever her name is, Agatha the Bad Witch. Agatha Harkness. 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 That's supposed to be a bad guy, like. Yeah, she's a she's a pretty, pretty significant. Well, I don't know how significant a baddie she is, but she's a prominent baddie in the in the in comics. The, yeah. Okay, but not in the Mar. This is the first she's ever been in the Marvel universe. In the, in the yeah. cinematic universe, yeah, in the yeah. MCU, yeah. Okay, so. What did I miss something where she calls her Scarlet? She calls what's her name Scarlet Witch at the end of the episode, but she's the Scarlet Witch, isn't she? Is Who Ag- Agatha Harkness? No, uh, what's Wanda. Wanda's a Scarlet the- Witch. Yeah, Wanda's Scarlet Witch. Yeah, but she says Scarlet. Right. So, but she's like she's like a witch that has is surrounded by Scarlet colored rays and everything so wanda you mean no the well agatha is surrounded by purple oh that was her color signature a scarlet witch is what color is scarlet it's red oh i'm sorry i thought it was purple never mind (laughs) i thought scarlet pimpernel hello a scarlet in, letter. I don't a, know. I scarlet thought, letter. A study in scarlet. Hello. <laughs> I thought the scarlet letter movie, uh, the letter was purple. No, it was red. Oh. Will All right, Scar- well, never mind. Will. <laughs> either either way, her character, the the witch thing is just. I mean. All the magic stuff in the cinematic in the comics is dumb in my opinion anyway, but. I, you're just, I mean, you could just basically do, you, you just, I don't know, it's just, it's too much. It's too much. It's just, well, right. like, Iron Man builds all this stuff, and this character got bit by a spider, so he's Spider-Man. This happened to this guy, that's why he's this hero. And this person's just got magical powers, and she's just, because she's a witch. And that, and they're well, I mean, they the Salem witch trials as they were actual witches. Which is stupid too, because they didn't burn witches at the stake at the Salem witch trials. Well, they, they never said that they were in Salem. What? They never said they were in Salem. Yeah, they did. They did say that's that's the title. It said Salem, nine sixteen whatever. Oh, huh. I missed that. Yeah, it's the ti- that's why it annoyed me. I'm like, okay, this is the Salem witch trials. Oh, okay, they got someone burning at a stake. They've already got that horrible detail wrong, and then then it's just witchy people doing witchy things, which is just dumb. I just think it's dumb. So if I'm not going to, I'm going to watch the last episode tomorrow, but I don't think you should. I have to. I'm going to go on record saying, I think you should avoid it. Okay. Well, <laughs> it's going to cause you a little he's, bit of pain. He's seven or eight episodes in. He's got to watch the last eight one. out of nine. No, I'm going to watch know. the last goddamn episode. And if it's something, like, there's a conceit of, all this stuff. Of course, none of this stuff is real. I mean, there's a super serum, a super soldier serum, and 
there's a you know there's there's a radioactive spider that bites a guy and gives him superpowers and I mean yeah, there's turns there's a guy into a Hulk. Yeah, there's a, there's a certain level of of you know suspension of disbelief you got to go into just walking into half of these things. I mean, oh, if the so there's, there's a backstory for Agatha, then I'm sure there is. She explains. She or kind of explains. Oh no, yeah. it's just that witches are real, just like they're you know like just like Mephist- just like the devil's real in right. in in comic books. You know, like it's just. It's just what it, it's just comic books. The devil's real in the Marvel well, Cinematic Universe. Mephisto. He, right, he's not the devil per se. He's he's a he's, he's an entity or whatever that that he's gets very, uh, he's very that gets looking. confused for the devil all yeah. the time. No. Well, I mean, it's imagine it's imagination, dude. I mean, yeah. I, I I get it. You know, I sort of get it, but I don't. I don't, I don't like know. It. I don't know. I don't That's what I say. Maybe, maybe, maybe don't. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Agatha, Agatha Harkness was is is explained on the uh, the Marvel wiki as a as a sinister heroine. Yeah, she's she was you know ill treated. She's got a she's got a dark side, but she's all she's not necessarily a bad guy. No. Yeah, she's, not, um, she's in the true sense of the word. She's not technically evil, even in this. She just, you know, right. She has, she wants something, you know, and then she, she strongly reveals exactly what she wants. Okay. Well, no, she revealed exactly what she wanted in the episode you just watched. Yeah, she wants what Wanda has or what Wanda yeah. creative or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yes. And Wanda got her powers from the, from the Mind Stone. So it didn't just come out of nowhere. She just didn't, she didn't just become a witch out of nowhere. Well, her powers got enhanced from the Mind Stone. Well, I guess that's why the Guardians of the Galaxy movies are my favorite, because they're the least, they're the lightest. Well, the, the, the movie where there's a Power Stone, where if you touch it, you explode, which is just like the Mind Stone, technically. It's, well, right, it's, but it's a, those are more comedy movies. Comedy actually, you know, the, I guess some of the other Marvel ones are too, but they're trying to be more serious and epic and... You know, whatever. I, I just right, fair enough. I'm never, I'm never gonna love it. So everyone else does. It doesn't matter. I don't know about everybody. Uh, everybody does doesn't love it. Eh, most people love it. Huh. Okay. <laughs> like anything else, my sister's never seen Star Wars. You know, so I'm just going by sheer volume of money. Sick woman. Sick woman. <laughs> Get that woman some help. <laughs> the hell are you talking about? Never see Star Wars. I would call her powerful. Because she's never seen it. Powerful <laughs> stands alone against, against the against the rising the tide of Star yeah, the title Wars. Wave. How dare you not see Star Wars? It's a matter with you. Fucking yeah. wrong with you. Yeah, that's why my wife, my ex-wife, or my ex, had never seen it, and I knew that when I before I married her, that should have been number one should've... sign. Don't marry her, dummy. She didn't see Star Wars. Should have lobbed a grenade at her. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hold this for me. <laughs> I'll be right yeah, back. <laughs> yeah, I got to run out to the car. I'll be uh, yeah. back in a second. I was like, Mr. Latham? Yes. The lawyers feel that that's murder. <laughs> Maybe don't do that. <laughs> Damn it. I'll take it. I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I don't give a shit. I will gladly, gladly do it. This person has a great transgression in not seeing Star Wars. Yes. 
you have to see Star Wars. That's that's a redeeming quality. Absolutely. There are murderers I'm willing to forgive because they enjoyed Star Wars. Yeah. That's that's not true. <laughs> Lying. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Even Star Wars isn't Star Wars anymore, so in my opinion. Whatever. Not really. It yeah, hasn't been not. Star Wars since it was Star Wars. Star Wars is Star Wars. That's all it is. It's not all this other shit. It's just fucking Star Wars. Just I mean, there's, yeah, there, there, there have been, been moments. Been, it hasn't been Star Wars since Empire came out and it had to fucking be numbered. Mm-hmm. Now it's a new hope. Well, man, you gotta do a franchise. You gots to have a franchise. What do you got if you don't got a franchise? You ain't going nowhere you without see, that they, keeps uh, getting, kid. <laughs> they, uh... Apparently, Lionsgate wants uh, after this next John Wick film, after John Wick Four. Uh, apparently, now they want another trilogy as opposed to the because four and five were originally supposed to film back to back. They want another John Wick trilogy or just yeah, another another trilogy yeah. after four. Fucking Keanu Reeves stepped in the shit. Yeah, he did. Oops. I guess I, got, I guess I got me a franchise again. Get a, get a chance. Check, definitely check out that Nobody movie. It's it's a lot of fun. Uh, I don't Bob. like... I'm not a fan of Odenkirk. That's my issue. I'm not a big fan of his, but I will watch it. I know everybody. But and then again, like people say, it's the same with um, Atomic Blonde. It's like, okay, so it's John Chick, right? All right. Let's just watch, watch Charlize Theron beat up a room full of guys. Yeah. All right. After a while, that starts to... It just starts to wear off on me, you know? Mm. Yeah. That's too bad. That's a fun movie. I, like I actually... People, I, I like I, people beating up roomfuls of people. That yeah, staircase yeah, sequence is awesome. Yeah. Okay. It's just, I just, it doesn't do anything for me after after about 20 minutes. I'm like, all right. That's all the, bigger, the bigger problem I have, and I ran into this problem in, in, in some spy books that I've read, is... I, I run into a problem and that fight scene in Atomic Blonde comes dangerously close to that point. It's where you see the amount of damage that your protagonist is taking and yet they're still going. Yeah. And Meanwhile, like, you got up from the sofa the wrong way and your fucking hip is hurting all day long, <laughs> you know? And it's like, fuck this. This is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> just fucking bullshit. I haven't done a damn thing. Why am I in pain? Why do I need an ice pack? This is bullshit. That's a good point. And Charlize Theron's ten years older than me. She just went down a flight of steps while being yeah. shot at. On you know? her head. She, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Lands on her head and is fine apparently. Um. Thanks to Festly and Music. Please check out our website at sentimentalpod.com for all of the poster images we discuss on our Down the Tube segments when we do them. And don't forget to download and subscribe to Sentimental wherever you enjoy your podcasts. You can always listen to new episodes at sentimentalpod.com. Also, you can follow us on all major social media accounts at sentimentalpod. For Asan Godwin, Lathan Conger III, Walter Simonson, and myself, we say thank you so much for listening. And as always, in the words of our friend and traumatized emergency pilot, Truman Burbank. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Bingo, bingo, bingo.